social change culture wants to influence children's attitudes and beliefs away from family values and Christ. But first, they have to diminish and eliminate the voice of the parent. So how do we respond to a culture that wants to destroy family? We strengthen the very institution that they're afraid of, the family. Welcome to the Monica Klein Show, and I am your host, Monica Leal Klein. So if you have been listening to my podcast the last few weeks, you've heard from three different parents, Jennifer, John, and Claire, talking about their experience as parents with trans-identifying children. And I'm going to pause here for just a second because I just realized that my puppy is sleeping next to me and she's snoring loudly. Do you guys have puppies that snore loudly? So if you hear that in the background, it's not my husband. (laughs) It's my little tiny Westie and she snores loudly. (laughs) Anyway, please excuse her. Um, Just, you know, family life with dogs and such. Anyway, um, you know, these interviews were, I hope for all of you, very eye-opening and that they were helpful to you. And today you're going to hear from a therapist who works with young people as well as adults who have unwanted same-sex attraction or who are struggling with gender dysphoria. And David Pickup, has been doing this for a long time now. And he actually, he doesn't share a whole lot about it here, but it's not a secret or anything. He was also someone who experienced same-sex attraction. It was unwanted. He did not want to feel that way. And he got help from a doctor named Dr. Nicolosi, who created a therapy called reintegrate a reparative therapy. It's now called reintegrative therapy. And it's just talk therapy. And you're going to hear um, David describe it. So I'm not going to describe it. But what I got out of my time with David is how hopeful it is that even within the first session, people are starting to, um, to really, um, one, start to understand the trauma that they've had, the how it's affected their ability to attach to their family or to other people and how it's really affected their own identity and that they begin to start to to, to get relief within the first session. Um, it's a very, you know, I think that after listening to these parents and then also what is happening in the culture, it's very easy for us to, to maybe get discouraged and get really worried. But David Pickup really brings some great information about the therapy that he's providing. But not only that, he really confirmed the approach of It Takes a Family. So if you haven't heard of It Takes a Family, that's the nonprofit that I created. You can go to ittakesafamily.org to learn more about that organization and how I help parents through that organization. And one of my big things that, you know, even though parents are always saying, how do we talk to kids about sex? How do we talk to kids about sex? I know that that's what's on your mind. Um, at first, right? But I, my, my key here is, yes, I can teach you how to talk to your kids about sex in ways that are not graphic, ways that are honoring them, ways that are still scientifically and medically accurate. I can do that. But the real, the real thing that you need to learn is how to have a solid, trusting and confident relationship with your children. A relationship so close an attachment to your children so close that those children will come to you no matter what has happened in their life, when no matter what they're thinking or feeling or what lies they're believing, uh, whether they're having same-sex attraction or they're questioning their gender, whatever it is, they know that they can trust to come to you 
with those thoughts, with those feelings, and that you can respond appropriately to them. It doesn't mean that you're going to have the the answer to everything, but that they know that they can trust you and that you will love them no matter what, which is what we heard in those interviews from those parents. I love their children no matter what. Well, David really talked about that too, you know, um, and I want you to listen to this interview and hear from him uh, from years of experience of counseling families and individuals, not only on how successful this therapy is, but also how successful um, and, and how, how families can really flourish when they have strong relationships within the family. So get comfortable and listen to my interview with David Pickup. Hi, David. Thank you so much for being here with me and for uh, sharing your expertise with my listeners. How are you doing today? Really good. And I'm honored to be here. I, I love shows like this. I think they're absolutely essential. So thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you know, it's my honor. Um, I, I'm so glad that you're on because parents have so many questions uh, regarding what is happening in the culture, what is happening in schools, or really just the experience of their own children. And, you know, so many kids now are identifying as either LGBTQ, which I know the T stands for transgender, but also identifying with the tra- a transgender identity. And so many parents are seeing that this is rapidly occurring, you know, and and now there's a term for it, the rapid onset of gender dysphoria. Um, Many people are calling it uh, like an epidemic or really a trend um, because the cases of so many children identifying as transgender more so than homosexual have been increasing so much. I'm also seeing, though, David, that transgender identity, there's still an element of same-sex experimentation. So I invited you on here because many parents want to hear from a licensed professional counselor about these issues. What what should they be concerned about? What can they do at home? And they have so many questions. Uh, But I also want them to know more about you and how you even really got into this field. And so maybe we should start there. You know, you do, I believe I'm going to say this correctly, like reintegrative therapy. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. First of all, parents or whoever's listening to the podcast, including professionals, need to be very certain that when we talk about either reparative therapy, big R, big T, uh, or reintegrative therapy, which is the new name for that because it's somewhat different now. This is professional therapy that fits the ethical and uh, treatment guidelines of just the broad accepted spectrum of professional therapy. Now, that doesn't mean people like the APA agree with us at all about how we're doing this, the, the philosophy of why this therapy really exists and why it really works. But... Uh, in a very real sense, reintegrative therapy is very simple, just like all therapies for pretty much all problems. When something is caused by trauma, usually in childhood, then the, the symptoms of those traumas tend to dissipate or at least automatically significantly reduce. So this therapy is designed for only people who truly believe that their homoerotic or their transgender dysphoric feelings are not based on genetics. We don't treat people whose belief system is, um, is I was born that way philosophy, all right? That would be unethical. And so we go according to the ethical guidelines. This isn't some fly-by-night 
uh, pray away the gay or transgender or or something or just uh, kind of shame based counseling that the LGBT community thinks what we're doing. It's professional therapy and it is based on that original philosophy. And wouldn't you know it? There is no proof of genetic causation of transgenderism or homosexuality. And so every single client that comes and works in our clinics um, who, who do reintegrative therapy or some similar form to that, there are a few others, they always treat only children and adults who have unwanted same-sex attraction or unwanted gender dysphoria because it's all based on trauma, including sometimes uh neglect, uh, any, any form of abuse. Um, and, and then a lot, um, I would say most, not all, but most people dealing with all these issues, there has been some overt abuse, including sexual abuse. And so we, long story short, reintegrative therapy heals the causal wounds and the symptoms tend to resolve by themselves. It's never a forced thing. And it's, it's really what it's really about, even from a spiritual sense, is about uh, the rise of the authentic gendered self, the confident, even powerful uh, gendered self. And people come out of this therapy feeling settled in who they are, their authentic selves. That That's that's good. You know, a lot of people are thinking that this is forced on people, that this is a unethical type of therapy and that kids are being, you know, bombarded and shamed and to not feeling that the, the way that they do. But it sounds like from what you're describing, these are people who are voluntarily coming to you. They, they don't want these kind of feelings. And what, what would a session or, you know, maybe not just one session, but what is the session like? Is there a lot of assessments? I mean, what would a session be like for parents to, to understand what that would look like? A session would look primarily at first as an assessment, like pretty much all good therapy. We take an assessment of, okay, what is this child or even the adult, what does this client really believe? And we have, in my particular case, I have a, a very detailed client history form. And it's such a great form because it reveals most of the traumas that I've been talking about in their own personal lives. And so we, we make sure that that kid is not being forced by parents when we find that out. And believe me, it, it does. I'm not trying to blame anybody here, but it does happen. Parents kind of sometimes even unwittingly tend to force their children. Um, but when we, when that happens and when a child comes in and says, no, I'm, I'm gay or I'm transgender and uh, it's inborn and that's who I am. And I don't want this therapy. We have no choice. We wouldn't do that anyway. We don't conduct therapy. We send them back to their parents and make suggestions that the parents undergo some kind of counseling for how they can treat their children and how they can facilitate help for their children in that kind of extreme case. Um, so you bet it's not forced. And then, then after that assessment, then we go, in terms of me, I'll speak for myself, we go immediately into the underlying traumas, especially for children. So let me give you an example. Uh, let's say a fifth, let's say a um, 16 year old comes in and says, yeah, um, I've been I've been living with these feelings of gender dysphoria since I was five. And usually, unfortunately, the, in my experience, at least the parents are the last to know. Most of them think uh, that, oh, everything's just gone perfectly. And usually a child, because they have so much un, um, unneeded uh, shame about these feelings, 
they're going to have these feelings most of the time from the time they were earliest of memories. And so in the case of transgenders, where we go first is to the trauma that they experienced at those ages, and sometimes it's pre-verbal, that tended to make them feel like they were the opposite sex and go to the traumas in the family system that have, has, have occurred. And so uh, with reintegrative therapy and then with an additional piece called tra- um, image transformation therapy, we do some very, very detailed, deep visualization that allows the mind basically to, uh, I'll explain this in a minute, but basically it allows the mind to heal trauma itself. Um, I believe we're all created by God with uh, a mind and a body that tends to heal itself. It's our survival mechanisms that are inborn in us. So for instance, the principle of this therapy is uh, just like when you get a cut on your arm, let's say, uh, the body heals, it begins instantly to heal itself, to survive. Well, it's the same thing with the mind. Through this this kind of therapy, we hit the trauma moments and in essence, through um, through therapy, dissipate those traumas out of the mind. And then uh, it, almost immediately, it sounds too good to be true, but I've seen it for the last three years, the, the symptoms, whatever those are, uh, homosexual feelings or uh, transgender feelings, they tend to begin immediately to, to resolve themselves. Now, that it also, of course, means there's probably a lot of work that takes some a good amount of time for children and adults to resolve these issues. But the first session, things start happening immediately because we so immediately identify where the real issues are. And then we we apply these um, therapeutic uh, interventions to affect natural automatic changes within that person. And they come out of sessions saying things like, wow, I, I didn't know this before. And this feels legitimate to me. And then when they've had, let's say, uh, a month or, or two most clients nowadays, because the therapy is so much better than it even used to be, uh, will say things like, wow, this is, I feel free. This feels like the real me. And um, I, I didn't know there was so much trauma that was kind of embedded in me from early childhood. So that's generally how even the first, but, but also uh, later sessions are done. We hit it. It's a psychodynamic approach primarily, and all that means is it's not the um, it's not the uh, it's not behavioral only. We don't we never tell somebody to uh, oh you should change and you should change your behavior and that's it goodbye have a have a great life. <clears throat> These are very deep psychodynamic processes that deal with the inner wound. This sounds so hopeful, David. So hopeful, um, and and for a parent to to be listening right now and knowing that within after an assessment and then within the first session that their child could start resolving some of these issues um, that that's wonderful to know as well. Uh, This I'm I'm so glad that you're explaining what this therapy looks like, because I think the problem feels so big and it's all over and it's in our schools and it's in our culture and it's hard to understand. So to hear that this reintegrative therapy can be effective so quickly for someone who voluntarily comes in wanting wanting this that they can get almost immediate relief but but to know that there's still some long-term work that needs to be done um, on based on some of that trauma I know I heard some of your case studies years ago at a meeting that you presented at 
And it was fascinating that whether, um, you know, back then when I first heard you, you were just focused on homosexuality and, and people who, who did not want those feelings. And, and again, you mentioned that regardless of the age, that in time through some talk therapy, traumas began to surface. Like, you know, you, they, they were able to then start to share, okay, this happened and this happened. And, you know, and, and so to know that, and sometimes, and I know you've mentioned this in, in some of your case studies, sometimes they're very extreme traumas. Sometimes it's just a, a trauma that seems traumatic to a small child, uh, but it may not have been a physical abuse. Um, you know, so can you tell us more about that? Yes. And the, um, the cases that are not overt abuse, those in a sense are the toughest cases because things happen without anybody realizing it. I know pretty much every parent, maybe except for extreme horrific cases um, in this country and in other countries, except for those cases, I do believe parents have good intentions and that they, they love their children, but because probably of their own upbringings, because Things tend to travel from generation to generation. The belief systems they have sometimes inhibit a child's, ironically, a child's growth into the into the authentic self. And let me give you an example of what I mean by that in, in the cases of this kind of situation that you just mentioned. Sometimes through death or divorce or an extremely chaotic family system right from early childhood, like one, two, three, four or five, that's where all these issues start. Transgenders is really starts in the earliest phase of one to three, where uh, gender dysphoria, I should say, uh, in the, those are the first first few years of when gender identity first starts to being set. And if something upsets that gender uh, re, um, uh, identity from forming as well as it could, then whether it's overt abuse or covert, I call it abuse through neglect, things like that. It, it, it's going, things are going to happen if things aren't in place well. So let me give you an example. Let's say a family system when a child is born is uh, extremely chaotic. They're, they're, sometimes the parents or sometimes other family members have made psychological issues and that child, without realizing that parents really aren't aware that that child, this particular child needs a lot more affection, a lot more bonding time emotionally. They, in essence, aren't their needs as a very small child, whether they're male or female, are, are just not met. And sometimes, let's face it, that happens through divorce and chaotic family systems. So the theory, even though it's unconscious going on within the child's mind, because he's not an adult, he's just a big bag of emotions. He can't really, he, no child at one or two or three, five years old even stops and says, I think I'm not getting gender development enough. That's, that is just, hmm, I've got to do something about that. No, that would be an adult. So the, what that child is reacting to is the lack of emotional identity need fulfillment. There is a, a severe lack usually. Uh, in um, in whoever is parenting them of a sense of security within themselves. Basically, what we're talking about here is this is attachment theory. The, in layman's terms, simply put, attachment theory is says that if you don't attach to your primary caregivers, you won't attach to your authentic self. And sure enough, in when these issues come up in therapy, those incidences of chaotic family systems of uh, children being neglected, even uh, and many times, uh, I have to tell you what we I don't I don't put 
put these issues on to anyone. It just comes up automatically in their histories, these clients. There's a there's a severe lack of bonding. And so that alone, just the, however it happens, even in the form of neglect, let's say the there are many things in life that can really interrupt family systems. And we always find some kind of chaotic non-cohesion between parents and children. The reason kind of, in a sense, doesn't really matter because it, the disattachment still happens. And when that child is, uh, there's a lot of anxiety and fear and and pain that a child doesn't know how to express. And so unconsciously, this is a simplistic version, but unconsciously that child, when they don't have proper attachment, fulfilling attachment at those ages, they will seek the sex gen- gender that is most comforting to them. Why? Because they're just, their brains are already getting in chaos. So they'll constantly seek automatic emotional fulfillment or, or um, a way out, so to speak. Well, for boys, sometimes they, when they're little boys, like one, two, and three, they will become quote feminine because for whatever reason, mom is not emotionally available. And so taking on the feminine identity comforts that fear and pain uh, uh, and, and uh, it's abandonment and anxiety, frankly. And so they will become mom, so to speak, or feminine so that they can be comforted by the feminine person who can't be there for them. Same thing in uh, homosexuality, basically. Although those those wounds usually happen a bit later in in the next few years, but it's the same basic me- mechanism. Let's say for whatever reason, dad doesn't know how or or can't or won't in some cases uh, emotionally connect with their boys. There's a male need fulfillment deficit, and homosexual feelings, especially in puberty, develop to unconsciously make up for that deficit. So that's why male need fulfillment in those years turns automatically, they're not chosen feelings, they're automatic feelings that are a compensatory mechanism for those unresolved wounds. Those are the principles of what is underneath homosexual feelings and um, transgender feelings, the gender dysphoria. So you, you, treat the, you treat the real wound, and you, in my opinion, you need a pro to do that. And so that's why I have uh, my thriving practice. And I'm, and I'm honored and, and thrilled because I get to see, although it's in some cases it's extraordinarily hard work, I get to see these needs and these issues healed and transformed over time. And I try so much. I try my best to respect the parents no matter whatever they've gone through because a lot of this stuff happens in unintentionally. But we, I try our best to bring two things to the family system is truth and to set them on what really works and compassion. That's what happens in reintegrated therapy, truth and compassion, according to who the client really is or believes that they are. So that's what I think parents and, and people need to know is that they can alter the relationship back to where you resolve what is what ends up for older children, especially uh, and adults, some massive amounts of grief because they're they're experiencing deep losses for not feeling attachment to their primary role models. Now, this stretches on to peers as well. Uh, some children are just, for whatever reason, are just left alone. And, and it's not only a family system problem, it's a, it's a peer system problem. And so we help the children to overcome these things, the family system to overcome these things. And, and, and so then 
when those processes begin, then the anxiety goes down automatically. Depression goes down and they move into what I call the rise of the authentic self. This sounds more, um, I mean, just listening to you describe it, it, it is grace filled. It yes. is very grace filled. Yes. And you, yeah, I can tell that you're incredibly patient or that's what I imagine to just allow the person in front of you to to slowly unravel and reveal the things that they probably weren't even aware of themselves. And I really love the grace and compassion that you're that you have for the parents uh, where you say, you know, sometimes parents don't even realize that this is happening. And, and it's true. Pa- parents are, uh, of course, like you said, there are those extreme cases where we have parents who are truly abusing their children. But in many cases, and I'm wondering if you would put a percentage to it at all. How many of these cases, though, are just parents who just life life just happened, you know, divorce or trauma in the family that just was just, it just kind of happened. It wasn't about parents really being abusive. Well, unfortunately, I would say, and probably because I tend to, what will be obvious, uh, get people of faith in my practice. There's not many people who don't have a faith in their lives, whatever that faith is, who come to this therapy. So in those particular cases, usually those those home, I, I would, I would venture to say, probably most, unfortunately, of the ones that come to me have experienced things that they just didn't know. You, we, I see a, uh, I do see an increasing number of parents who are, to their great uh, credit, are able to own whatever part they may have played, and that's what I encourage. And so there's a growing number of parents. Like 20 years ago, society was so clueless on all these issues uh, that. We didn't get a lot of parents who who said, you know what, I think I've made some mistakes. I didn't intend to, but I, I can see this now. We still get a large portion that don't get that, probably because of their own issues. Uh, but we don't shame parents. We we uh, Here's what I often tell parents, um, even though there are a large number of people who just didn't realize what was going on. I tell them this is not about blaming it's about naming whatever the truth happens to be, hitting the problems, not shaming anybody, and changing the, the nature of the relationship because it's just not working. And I demonstrate that for parents when I do parent sessions. And so let's say you've got a father who has a very sensitive, for one of a better term, I hate this, but I'll use it, effeminate boy, and yet he's a type A personality, kind of that strong, stoic kind of what their their personalities are going to not mesh well sometimes. And so sometimes that father thinks that he's just gonna push and push and and go after his son in very demonstrative ways, but he doesn't realize that he's becoming detached emotionally from his son and his son more importantly is not attaching to him and so that this is not true in every case but it's common for boys to develop homosexual feelings as a compensatory mechanism because they didn't get enough attachment from dad and nobody knew it so when i educate parents i tell them what really works i I even demonstrate it to them in session and then if all goes well then then that healing between child and parent begins to take place. And in my opinion, there's nothing that can replace as good as the healing of the parent-child relationship. And parents, even if you feel like you miss something or let's say you're one of those unintentional parents, the test will be if you're willing to take ownership or anything that you even might have done without shame. 
And so, so we can get to the root causes and heal them. And so parent, and so the, the attachment then begins to form. And then when the attachment is taken care of, this, the symptoms, as I'm calling them, tend to go down or away automatically. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so obviously a lot of this therapy can be family therapy. So it's some individual as well as working with the whole family. Okay. Right. Now that's we right. just have, you know, in the last about 10, 11 minutes on the show, I want to, David, also, what what can you tell parents about what we can be doing at home? Some of the most common questions that I have from parents is, how can I prevent my child from identifying with same-sex attraction or a transgender identity? What should I be looking for? What are some of the warning signs? But also, what can I do to help, whether it's to prevent or even we can start there, or even they're already identifying this way. What can I do in addition to therapy? Or if for some reason they're not seeking out therapy, what can they be doing at home? Well, those are two distinct, they're similar, but those are actually two distinct questions. So let me go one by one. Let's say you've got a child where everybody's willing and cooperative. Um, uh, If you have a child that's already dealing with this, it's actually... I'm the kind of person that that functions best when first principles are laid out, out of which all the details or even complications grow. So I really like setting first principles that are always very simple, actually. This is really actually a simple issue. It just feels complicated because there's so much details of trauma and what you do and all that stuff. So the principle is this, form the loving bond relationship. That's it. That's how you prevent you you ensure as much as possible that that child is bonding with you emotionally. Now, what does that look like as a part of this great question? It looks like a parent noticing, literally stopping and noticing, is my child, my very young child, or in teenage years, which is harder to detect because let's face it, teenage years are tough and teenagers typically want to do their own thing. But what you're watching for is, is my child emotionally connected to me? And if he is, how am I seeing that? Does he look at me in my eyes or is he always downcast? And I'm talking about like almost or always downcast. Is he physically producing a kind of emotional barrier between uh, me as a parent and the child? In which case, physically, a child, if that child over um, any more than, let's say, three months, that's a general rule. It's not hard and fast, but anything over three months, if that child will not come towards the parent, especially when they're young, like two, three, something like that, something's wrong. Something's not working because children naturally move physically towards the parent. They want their affection. But when you've got gender dysphoria, Often that child goes into hiding and they become good little boys and girls. They don't really reveal really who they are. They're filled with too much abandonment anxiety. And so they'll kind of put on a, it's not hypocritical. It's just a kind of a false self, so to speak. And so, but their energy will be away from the parents. So that's what parents need to do in order to, to rectify a situation or to ensure that these issues won't happen is to make sure as best they can that that parent is talking with them. Uh, at least occasionally for small children, it needs to be probably, you, you need to, I'm not talking about deep philosophical conversations with your child. I'm talking about very simple, succinct, emotional bonding where let's say at night when mom or dad puts the child to bed, there needs to be physical contact. 
There needs to be eye contact. There needs to be a tone of voice in those very early years that is engaging. Sometimes there's nothing that a parent should do at very young ages other than take their child into their arms, hug them and let them feel their beating heart, literally, and uh, talk to them in ways that are emotionally connected. But if you're a parent, because of your own trauma, who can't emotionally connect, well, you see the problem? So what we do is facilitate parent-child bonding, essentially, when everybody's willing. Now, um, so, so in other words, emotionally connect through body language, eye contact, uh, words of not just praise, but words of what you see in that child. Uh, everyone knows uh, the, the simple child experience called peekaboo, all right? Well, nobody knows, well, not many people know this, but when you do peekaboo with the child, it's affirming their identity with the parent. When, let's say, you have, you're playing that peekaboo game and that, and you have a, a, a shirt in front of their face or something like that, and you go, you, and then they see dad's face or mom's face. It's, nobody does this consciously, but it's, it helps affirm that child because there's eye contact involved. There's a physicality to it that is very human, and that's how we're created for that kind of bonding. So that's all preventative. There's other things, but that's a big piece there. When they're older and when things have not gone well, that's the other type of question that you mentioned. When they don't go well and that kid is beginning to really distance themselves from parents, I assure you, at least in my experience, there is a massive amount of trauma that that child is just not telling the parent. And then all of a sudden, boom, at 15 years of age, especially because of the social media, which is part of the rapid onset problem, then they come out because they've just heard. It almost sounds like hysterics. <clears throat> they've heard that they can be the other gender. And isn't, isn't life grand now? Uh, and what that's doing is that's relieving some of the gender dysphoria for a while. doesn't really work, but for a while. And so that that child, because of abandonment anxiety, will tend to just attach to that principle. And he won't give it up because it's too chaotic internally if they they think they have uh, that this isn't their real self. So how parents, when the child is older uh, or let's say they're actually an adult, again, you go back to the first principle. Try your best to establish the relationship. Even if you're diametrically opposed to each other's belief systems, make up your mind you're going to love your kid and find ways to do that. You don't have to agree with their philosophy, but there's specific ways to do that. And it goes right back to relationship bonding. If for no other reason, you want to try to bond emotionally with that child. Uh, tell them that you hear them. Tell them that you understand them. That, yeah, okay, we don't agree, but you know what? I'm going to love you regardless, no matter what comes, hon. That, things like that. And that at least, hopefully, sets the stage for possible development through these issues later on if you secure the relationship. That's fantastic. I mean, it sounds so, um, honestly, I mean, just so simple. It's just having having that relationship, that bond with your child. And, um, you know, I, I tend to always talk to my parents about, you know, in the book of De Deuteronomy, when God tells us that we're to, you know, share truths with them, talk with them as we walk, you know, by the mm -hmm. way, and when we sit down and eat, when we lay down and all of that. And I've Ooh. emphasized to parents that we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent because the world is consistent. Uh, and if our child is at a 
public school for eight hours or plus a day, we have even less time with them for that bonding. And so that bonding is so important. I love what you said about seeing the child. Um, I, I'll emphasize that as well. It's like we need to be able, you know, I always look at it as what do you want for yourself? You want people to see you. You want people to love you and accept you. Well, your child wants that from you as well. They want to be seen not as your mini me, but as a unique person uh, with their own unique gifts, you know, and so you may not agree, um, you know, where, you know, maybe you are into sports, but your child is into art. But man, it would mean the world to that child if you would just talk about their art, um, just be there with them and experience art with them and accept them. Just, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with being more into art than sports. <laughs> so, right. you know, there's some things that we're like you said, we're not going to accept. You know, we're going to set boundaries on uh, I have an interest in learning everything about marijuana and other drugs. OK, yeah. well, <laughs> there's there's things that we obviously set boundaries on because those things are not healthy for our children. Um, but as far as that emotional bond that you're talking about, um, David, I know, you know, we're already past our time. I want to respect your time. What are some resources aside from, from, uh, you know, if they don't, there's not a need to go to therapy, you know, right now, but, but parents want to start working on this emotional bond with their children, whether they're young or whether they're older and they're already experiencing issues. What are some resources that they can seek out to learn more about how they can do this? There are actually are a lot of resources and that is a great question this is what i think parents should do especially in the world today but i'm going to focus just on two of the many because i think they're so effective go to my website davidpicklmft.com and on my resource page you'll find a small but in my opinion truly great book that Dr. Joseph Nicolosi wrote years ago that originally is designed uh, for children who are dealing with uh, or preventing homosexuality. But the same principles, even though the book's title is How Parents Can Prevent Homosexuality by Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, it can apply to transgender issues as well, just as much, because it's this, even though it's different in some ways, it's the same kind of um, issues that I've talked about today. And so you're going to find that book stating a lot of details and fleshing out about the things that I just was rather long winded in saying just these last few minutes. And so go to that book on my website, order it and just practice it. Now I want to qualify that. I don't agree necessarily with every single nuance of every aspect of Dr. Nicolosi's book, but they can use most of those principles, if not all, and apply them to their relationship with their child and uh, uh, between the, parent and child. And then I'd strongly recommend, not because parents have to be therapists, but I would recommend that they, even on Wikipedia, they could look up the theory of attachment and or, or buy a book or two about theory of attachment. And there's a million books about there uh, on, on the internet. And you choose, you might enter uh, th- uh, attachment books on attachment therapy parents and children. And you're going to come up with probably a lot of resources that will explain in in more detail um, what goes wrong. Uh, And and so if that parent knows that, oh, wow, this sounds like me, then they can do the reverse and, and get the family or the relationship they're dealing with back on track, just simply because of the knowledge that, oh, you know what, this proves it. I, I need to be attached to my child and my child to me, and I've missed some things. 
because our personalities, let's say, are so different or because, or because the, our family system, like it or not, has just been filled with chaos. Mm. Or um, I've been so busy at work for many years, I'm trying to support my family, which I understand in a sense. Uh, I've, I've gone away from my child and my child is just drifting off. When you know that, then you have the power to do something about it. Uh, you know, uh, the other question that I have ab- about this is, you know, our children are, are seeing, and you kind of touched on this already, that um, the rapid onset gender dysphoria is happening with, w- one thing in common is that these children are on social media or on the internet, and they're they're reading about it, they're watching these videos and somehow it really draws them in. And next thing you know, they're identifying with a transgender identity. Uh, But we're also hearing that many schools are also teaching it and not just teaching it, but they're pressuring parents to change the pronouns of their children and to change their children's names. As a therapist, I know what I would say, but what are your thoughts on that about placing our children in an environment where they're consistently being told that they have a transgender identity? Okay, let me answer it this way. And I'm answering it this way because I do a lot of, as you know already, I do a lot of political lobbying in the, in the state legislatures because therapy is trying to be destroyed for children who need, and adults who need this therapy. And so I'm pretty simplistic with it. There's a principle. So let me ask a question. If your teacher told your if a child's teacher at let's say 15 years old was telling your child in health and development class in in high school that actually he's a cat which or actually that he's uh, a total idiot which uh because of their own personal problems and putting the child up would you not consider that some form of abuse even though it's a kind of a teaching or uh, sounds ridiculous when I talk about the cat, but essentially because these things aren't genetic, that's the principle. So, so in my opinion, this kind of speech, this kind of philosophy is abusive to a child growing development because it's not based on the truth. And this is one of the last things I want to make sure everyone understands. This issue can be seen sometimes very simply. There is no research anywhere that proves, conclusively proves that there is such a thing as inborn homosexuality or inborn gender dysphoria. But much of the world is telling people that they are. So you've actually got medical doctors, in the case of transgenders, who are removing healthy body parts, and we all know which ones those are, and yet they have no proof that what they're saying to these children are uh, are true. They're, they're betraying the 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 ethical considerations when they just simply ignore that there's no uh, evidence for this and they simply adopt the philosophical system and project it onto these children. And yes, I do consider that abuse. Thank you so much for saying that. It's such a, such a relief to hear a professional in the field who is doing such amazing work for families and children and adults as well. I know you work with adults and, um, and, to, and to hear you say that. And thank you for, not only for your work in counseling, but the, the work that you're doing at the Capitol as well. And to call it out for what it is, it is abusive and that we do not, no parent, no child needs to submit to this kind of lie. And absolutely, our children, if, if they're in an environment, whether it's at a preschool, whether it's a club, whether it's a government run school that is teaching your children 
lies, untruths, medical untruths, and trying to convince those children that they are a different identity and then changing their name and such, that is abusive. And that is consistent brainwashing of your child in that environment. And they, well, they need to be prosecuted, but first you need to take your child out of that environment altogether. That is our responsibility as parents. We're to provide and protect and love. And by protecting them, we need to pull them out and and whatever is necessary to do that. Uh, Thank you so much, David, for being on the podcast and sharing this information. I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot of questions uh, and I may, and I'll field them for you and I'll ask you and and make sure. And and we might, you know, probably if if you're willing, get you back on the podcast in the, in the future to talk more about what's happening and what else we can do to help families. So thank you for your work and thanks for being on our podcast. You're very welcome. And anytime you need me, I'm there and you can tell people to just email me and I'll answer them. I'll answer, I ever, I answer every single email. So if they have further problems or questions that they can certainly contact me and and I'm thrilled to be on the show. Great to see you. Oh, David, thank you so much. And thanks for saying that. So actually, yeah, why don't you just, before we get off, remind our, or just let our listeners know how they can contact you, your website, whatever your preference is. My website, even though you won't see much about transgenderism on it, I'm revamping it. But anyway, my website is David Pickup, just like my name, just like it sounds. Then the letters LMFT, that stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, uh, .com. So David Pickup, LMFT.com. And then they can also call me uh, at a toll-free number 888-288-2071. Thank you so much. Parents, make sure you reach out to David if you're going through some of these issues yourself with your family. Obviously, this is a, a professional who has great compassion and answers for family. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Monica Klein Show. If you are a company or small business who would like to advertise on the podcast, please contact me at hello at monicacline.com. And to learn more about my nonprofit, please visit us at ittakesafamily.org. For more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, head over to edify.app and search for the Edify app in the Apple and Google Play stores. Oh, 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 oh